Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast, your place on the internet for all the news and views about Blizzard Entertainment and its many games. I'm Ann Stickney. I'm hosting this week because why not? But I've also got my co-host with me, sometimes host, sometimes co-host. It doesn't matter. We swap back and forth. It's Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. How's it going? Hey, everybody. How you doing? Well, I said, how's it going? And then you said, how you're doing, which didn't really well, answer. Not to you, <laughs> but to them. <laughs> how are you doing, though? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I'm fine. I don't want to talk about all my personal problems, so let's just talk about video games. <laughs> Did you get anything done this week in World of Warcraft or Diablo or anything like that, or nah? Um, actually, in WoW, I did a little, uh, not too, not too much. Did you get uh, the rocket? Mostly... Because I didn't. <laughs> no, no, I don't even try. Did anybody like, get the rocket? I'll... I don't think anybody did. It's a figment of all of our imaginations. <laughs> My wife likes to collect mounts and stuff like that, but I don't because a I kind of got the mounts I wanted, like the ones I thought were cool, and they haven't put in any new mounts that have really said, "Ooh, this is cool, I want it." And b I'd feel really bad getting one with my wife there, and I'm not going to run that you know Crown Chemical Co by myself, so I only end up ever going with her, and it's just like, no, I'm not, I don't want it because if I get it, she'll feel bad because she's been trying to get it. You know what I mean? This is the thing. I wish those mounts were tradable. Yeah. I wish if it dropped for me, I could give it to someone else because I mean, I get that there'd be pressure to do that. Like people would be like, Hey man, can I have that? I've been trying to get it for six years. But at the same time, I feel like this is not something I care about. And now if I get it, I'm going to feel really bad. And I don't feel like I should feel bad about that kind of thing. It doesn't strike me as a good thing. I didn't get the rocket, but I did get the heartbreaker toy, which I didn't have in my toy box. So I was happy about that. I got one thing I didn't have. And that was good because I didn't actually go out of my way to collect anything. I feel bad because I missed out on the hearthstone, but that's okay. I can go ahead and pick it up next year. No big deal. I'm not like super pressed about it. Um, 
besides, I kind of like the Windervale one better anyway. <laughs> as far as Hearthstones go. Uh, I'm waiting for the summer one. Yeah, I, I want to see if they add one for the Midsummer Fire Festival because I imagine whatever that is, it's going to be pretty cool. And I will want that one. Um, if I there's anything just, like really firework like to, or yeah. fire related with it, I want it. <laughs> well, I mean, I've I've seen the winter one. I've seen people like dance and stuff with that. Yeah. But I'm wanting the fire one because that would be cool. Like if yeah. there was a big firestorm around you and you're dancing through that, then then I'm interested. I just I just want it to turn you into like you know the little flaming drenai that eat the little pedestal thing that I used to whip out and everybody would dance with it before raids. And we were just yeah. a bunch of yeah, we were just a bunch of draenei on fire. Yeah, I want it to turn you into that when you're hearthing. I think that would be cool. <laughs> anyway, we've got some news to talk about, and probably the biggest news this week just came out the other day. Overwatch's hero number thirty has finally been announced, and his name is Batiste. If I remember, yeah. I, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's, That's how Jeff like pronounced Jean, it. John Batiste something. John Batiste Augustine. Um, he is a new hero. He's a support hero, which I'm really kind of excited about. And he has a range of pretty entertaining abilities. Um, since he's a healer, obviously, you know, a lot of his stuff is focused on the healing. But the way he heals is he throws like splash grenades at people that do splash it's it's splash healing, basically. And then he has like a couple of other really interesting abilities. One of them is Exo Boots, where if you crouch with him, you charge up this these these boots and they will launch you into the air if you hit jump. And the longer you charge it, the higher you'll go. And that's so that he can, in theory, jump up really high and throw his grenades in all kinds of directions without actually like having to be there present himself. That kind of thing. But the biggest thing that people are talking about, and I find this kind of entertaining because it's not even his ultimate ability. It's this thing called an immortality field. And that immortality field allows Batiste to use a device. It creates a field that prevents allies from dying. It's a generator. You can kill the generator, but while that generator is up, nobody dies. And this isn't his ult. That's the thing that just kind of baffles my mind is this is not his ult. His ult is amplification matrix. It's a, a like a a shield type thing. It looks like Reinhardt's shield only it's it's just like this big square in space and it doubles the damage and healing effects of friendly projectiles that pass through it for everybody on your team. So it, he's a unique character. He's like he's got like a unique set of abilities and I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how he plays out in matches. Um right now he is available for play on the PTR if you want to play on the PTR. Um his backstory is also kind of interesting too. Did you read up on that at all? Yeah, I watched the trailer that talked about it. The uh the you know the origin trailer they do. I thought it was really kind of cool actually. Yeah, the thing and is the, is uh, like the... we knew that the Omnic Crisis like the the whole war aspect of the Omnic Crisis, it was a global thing and it was really devastating. Having a number tacked onto it is is kind of crazy. There were 30 million children that were orphaned by the Omnic Crisis, and Batiste was one of those kids. Um, that's that's huge. Like that's yeah, huge. that's a that's an enormous amount. Yeah. You know, people talk about the Omnic Crisis like, oh, it was this conflict that was long ago, da-da-da-da-da. They don't really get into exactly how devastating it was. But this was 
it tore the world apart. Overwatch did some serious stuff when they came in and they fixed it. Um, yeah, if you're talking about 30 million orphans, I mean, just on a conservative estimate, uh, we're, that means like 15 million dead. Yeah. Like 15 million people died at least. That's a conservative estimate. And that means that it's more bloody than the the, the uh, First World War. Which, it was I mean, granted, crazy. Their population, their population was probably a lot higher than it was when the First World War happened. Because this is in the but, future. It's all set yeah, in the but, future. But still. But still, that's that, we also keep in mind that not everybody has kids. So not every orphan child would have been the result. You know what I'm saying? That's not the only rubric for fatalities here. Plenty of other people, plenty of other kids probably died. Yeah. Plenty of people died. The, the number of dead is now, there's a minimum amount and then it can only go up from there. And it's it's really sobering to think about. It's kind Very of rarely, staggering. Yeah, you don't get that kind of thing in a lot of games like this. It was a big deal. It was a really big deal. Anyway, Batiste served for a while as a combat medic before he actually joined the Talon Mercenary Group. And he worked with them for quite some time living the good life. They were like the missions were easy. They paid well. And, you know, he could put aside his earnings opened a clinic in his hometown that kind of thing but over time he noticed that Talon's orders were kind of escalating in terms of this is bad this is bad like this is just bad stuff that's going on and as he realized what was going on he realized that he was kind of perpetuating that cycle of violence that had destroyed his own community initially and that didn't sit right with him so he left he abandoned Talon and Talon did not want to let him go. Um, they kept sending people after him because he knew too much. He, he he was working with Talon. I don't know how many years he was working with Talon, but he was working with Talon long enough that he knew information, like certain information, that Talon was actually dead set on not getting out there to the point where they sent people to kill him. And agent after agent went after him, and none of them came back, which tells you a lot about Batiste and his survivability factor. Um, so right now he's basically he's working towards a better world. He is not affiliated with Overwatch. He hasn't joined Overwatch. He was never he was never a member of Overwatch. Um, he was just kind of this outside character that joined Talon and then left Talon. What I find interesting is if they decide to tie this all into the existing lore and stuff like that, the fact that Batiste has all of this information and all of this knowledge makes him somebody that is potentially very valuable to somebody like, I don't know, Sombra, um, who is researching all of this stuff for her own reasons, or, you know, even to Overwatch, even to 76... Even anybody who is looking for more information on Talon, this is the guy that you want to talk to. Nobody's talking to him yet. There's no animated short out there. There's just a little bit of backstory. But I'm still kind of, I want to see where this goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, at least again, it's like you talked about before with other stuff. It's something that moves things forward. It's not just history. It's like what comes from, what comes after it. Like, you know, what's what's the implications of it? What are the ramifications of it? So... It is yeah. interesting to see Overwatch starting to move their story forward in, in little bits and spurts. So um, the other thing to make note of, Overwatch League is obviously moving on, doing its thing. But, but, and I'm really excited about this, Shanghai Dragons got their first win last week. Finally, they broke their 0 for 42 slump. They didn't win a single game in Season 1. And they lost their first two games in Season 2. 
but they won this one. And they were playing against Boston, who ordinarily, I mean, Boston was kind of one of the better teams, but uh, Shanghai didn't just win. They kind of almost dominated the thing because they they won it was three to one i think they won on that uh, on it but it was the first three maps they just went boom 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 um interesting part was that they brought in some new faces and one of the new faces that they brought in um gamsu he was a former player for boston so this was not only the dragon's first win against boston this was gamsu contributing to defeat his former team um because i think that when he was traded it was kind of out of nowhere i don't think he was expecting to be traded if i remember correctly um i don't i don't keep too much of an eye on the whole trade scene mostly i pay attention to the matches it was really exciting and that the Overwatch League, the stadium where they were doing the games and everything, it detonated when they won, when they finally won and got that last tick on the map and it came up. It The place exploded. Everybody was just ecstatic about this. Um, and so was I. I'm so glad I was able to watch that. Um, yeah, the second I saw that it happened, I thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, I mean, was watching. Was little... <laughs> I forget what was like it was that and something else was happening on twitter at the same time so it was like you just constantly seesawing back between people tweeting excitedly about shanghai and something else was it uh, search for grog it might have been search, search for, for grog. grog yeah search for grog was street was streaming at the same time as as the match was going on so i had grog in one window muted while i was watching shanghai and then as soon as they won and you know that series finished then i went back to but yeah people were bouncing back and forth between those two things shanghai was trending i mean obviously people were really excited about this i guess the big question right now is where do they go from here and i believe that they said they wanted to make the playoffs like that was that was the next thing on their checklist of things that they wanted to do um we'll see if if they can you know go ahead and continue i have a feeling that I mean, when you've lost that many games in a row, it weighs really heavy on you. And I don't care what sport you're playing or what team you're playing for. It just weighs really heavy on you and it makes it hard to play. So with a win under their belt, I'm kind of interested in seeing how they continue to do through the season. Because now they're not the team that's looking for their first win. They're the team that's looking to build a record for themselves and a name for themselves. And I think they could do it. I think they I can. Think maybe I think maybe hoping for the playoffs this year is a little ambitious, but I don't know, we'll know man. Happens. They've got they've got one player on their team, Diding, who plays the craziest Sombra. He is so good at Sombra. It is insane watching him play Sombra. Um and a lot of the matches, a lot of the action in the matches revolved around him, honestly. Um, successfully pulling off hacks and pulling out the EMPs when he needed to pull out the EMPs. I mean, it was just a phenomenal player. Absolutely phenomenal player. So yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to see where they go. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure lots of other things happened in Overwatch League this weekend. I did not get a chance to watch all of it. I was focused on the Dragons, you guys. And I fully admit my bias. I love them. <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, let's see. We've got a couple of other things going on. Actually, we just had something I didn't realize that this was going on. Heroes of the Storm. Obviously, we haven't talked about Heroes of the Storm too much because there hasn't been a lot of news surrounding Heroes of the Storm lately. Uh, they've got not one but three AMAs that are coming up. The first one was supposed to be this month, but it did get pushed back because I think somebody's on vacation or something like that. So the first AMA is going to be on Wednesday, March 6th at 10, from 10 a.m. to noon specific and this one is going to be surrounding the issues of ranked play balance and matchmaking um so if you've got any questions on any of that be sure to check that out the next one that they have is going to be on thursday april 4th from 10 a.m to noon pacific and that's going to be on art and design and then on thursday may 9th from 10 a.m to noon pacific they're going to have another one about hero design um also they have seen the concerns about the impact that some of the recent changes have had on the state of the heroes ai um their goal was apparently to make improvements but things didn't really go the way that they had planned so they're working on some hot fixes to repair the AI while keeping the original improvements where they can um, if you've been playing Heroes and you've been wondering what's going on with that, that's what's going on they're working to address it but yeah, there hasn't been, I don't think there's really much in the way of like new news, new hero releases or anything like that on the horizon for Heroes of the Storm, nothing that I've heard about but if you're still playing the game and a lot of people are, and you're interested in this kind of thing, be sure to check out the AMAs. Um, what, what, what else? What else? There was more. Raidfinder Wing 4, I believe? Yeah, the last wing of Raidfinder for the Battle of Dazara Lore. It opened yesterday. Have you done any of it? Not a bit. I went and I kicked the heck out of Jaina Proudmore last night. Um, I actually went in to do the last wing, and instead of starting at Mechatork, I got ported in on a Jaina encounter that a lot of people had quit because I guess it wasn't a one-shot or whatever. Because um, that happens in LFR. <laughs> I'm like, it's the first night, guys. Why are you upset? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on here. Anyway, but yeah. So when I got ported in, we beat her first try. It was great. Um, I didn't get any loot or anything. However, if you play Horde and you are not raiding currently... You'll want to go finish this wing in particular. Um, you have a quest. If you finish the war campaign, you have a quest to go defeat Jaina Proudmoore. You want to complete that quest because when you do, it opens up another section of the war campaign for Horde players and some pretty um, off-putting things happen. <laughs> I'm not going to go too much into spoilers, but yeah... Uh... The stuff that's going on on the Horde side is going to have implications later on in the game, absolutely, starting with 8.1.5 and moving forward. So, uh, yeah, I recommend going and hitting up LFR if you haven't hit up the raid at all. Battle for Jazara lore is actually a really good raid. I mean, I've just been experiencing it on LFR, just using the raid finder, but I am... I am kind of shocked with how good it is. Like, all of the fights are really well designed. There's a lot going on, and it's just really well put together. Have you done any of it, or no? I've done, um, what do you call them, the uh, first three or four fights. But it's like, up until fairly recently, I didn't have the, the ability to see well enough to really do it. Right. So okay. I haven't really been in very much. It's just, it's it's a good raid. I'm really impressed with it. It's a really good, I mean, I didn't mind the other one. I, I didn't mind Old Ear either, but 
All think, Deer feels strange to me. Yeah. It's not that it's a bad raid. It just feels odd. It, it, there's like, it's really established. The area around it is really established in the horde leveling. But if you're Alliance, it's basically just go here because it's there. And it, it feels really tacked on. I felt like they should have put in something. Even if they didn't want to put in something from the leveling experience, they should have put in some stuff in like the war campaign where we find out about All Deer and have to go in. Like There's a tiny little bit where you figure out, oh, Nazmir is messed up, but they should have expanded it and made it about Aldir to give you a reason to want to go in because it just doesn't feel like there is any reason to go in. It's not a bad raid. It's a it's a pretty good raid. I just, no, the fights I are think well, that like, well designed. I, I think that design-wise, I prefer Battle for Dazar Des- Lore. Like, I just, I like the raid better. I don't know why. I just, I like the raid better. Except for Opulence. I hate that one, but that's okay. <laughs> It's a good fight. It really is. They're all good fights. Moving on. Um, did you see this thing? There's there's one other thing to mention. If you are super tired, as are many people, of helping the baby turtles get to the water and don't really look up the beachhead quest for the Tortolans when you're doing the Tortolan emissary, usually, honestly these days if if i get this tortolan emissary i deliberately look for the shell game and i deliberately look for logo because those i can complete really easy and beachhead is just kind of obnoxious however in the latest build of 8.1.5 there's a new world quest and instead of instead of helping the baby turtles get to the water you are a crab <laughs> and you are avoiding the charges from the scroll of blasting and you are trying to eat those baby turtles <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> you guys are you... monsters. You're monsters. <laughs> Just People who do this quest, you're monsters. I'm... No. You're evil. The best part is when you eat the baby turtle, you get to wear its shell on your, on your little... Its shell becomes your little shield and then you can launch it. You can launch the sh- shield like Mario. <laughs> I can't wait to see this one in action. Um, I'm really actually kind of pleased with this because, frankly, the Tortolan world quests have gotten a little bit boring. The same thing happened with the Kirin Tor at some point back in Legion. It was like, yeah, there are quests to finish and you could go ahead and do those, but they kind of lost their shine after a while. I'll say this for the Tortolan quests versus the Kirin Tor quests. The Tortolan quests have yet to get impossible for me to do. Whereas there were several of the Cult Harris ones where I was like, no, I can't do this without an add-on. Like the one where you were playing like, you know, three three barrel Monty. There was that like, one. And then the one where it was like, memorize this maze real quick. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take a pic, take a screenshot. Take a screenshot and go back in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, I didn't mind the barrel one. I thought that out of all of them, I thought the barrel one was the best one. Um, and I hated the one where you had to fly through the air because despite the fact that it gave me instructions, those instructions weren't clear enough to, to let me successfully do it until I could do it with a flying mount. <laughs> At which point it was like, well, I'm cheating, but it's working. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Once flying mounts came in, that yeah. was the only way that I got that thing done either. So, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, but... I like the Tortolan fine. I never got, I do beachhead. It doesn't take me any time. Beachhead's actually one I can do pretty easily, which is surprising because of the old bad eyes thing, but whatever. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I have no trouble with it. I don't know why. Everyone else is always complaining about it. And I'm like, no, it's I just put the circle on them and blow them up. Maybe I'm just naturally a, a bird shooting monster. I don't know. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it. But you know, hey, a new quest is still good. It's good when they add new quests, these kind of things. The I feel like they should do that, that a lot. The weird part is that Scroll Sage Nola gives you this quest as well. Like, she gives you the quest to help the baby turtles. Maybe in 8.1.5, she just realizes, oh, we've let too many turtles go to the water. We need to cull the population a little bit and keep the balance of nature intact here. So could you please be a crab and chomp these things? I don't know. Um, It's a little weird. (laughs) But I won't mind hearing Nola talk some more. I I like Nola. I like her voice actress. She's great. Anyway, I think that's about it for news. Is that about it for news? Yeah, more or less. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. Oh, there's about. one thing. There's actually one thing I can talk about real quick. What's that? Uh, they've, extend, they've extended Diablo's season. What? Uh, the, the, they've extended the season of Grandeur because uh, it was so popular and because they, they need more time to get some stuff on the PTR for the next season because they want to do more unique seasons. So they've extended it out till May. Um, it was originally going to end sooner than that. But it's going to be running now until May. And then they'll they'll announce a date. I think they actually did announce a date, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. So but was yeah, it just you're... a popularity thing? That's the only reason they're extending it, or like was no, there a problem with it? No, no. People liked it, and they're they're happy with it. But plus, they it made them want to do more stuff like that in the future. But that means getting it on the PTR and testing it, and that means taking time to test it. So they're extending out the season so they have time to test the next season. Oh, okay. So does that mean they're going to be changing whatever they had in mind for the next season? I don't know. I don't know if they just decided to go with something different or what have you. But they did make a point in their post about it that this was their most successful season of the the theme seasons. Which, I mean, you start with the greed season. You're telling me you beat the greed season with this? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, But, but it's this, this was the first season to really change gameplay. How so? Because the way that the grandeur ring works, you get an extra, you can get your set bonus with one less piece of set, so you okay. can adjust you can adjust your gearing around without having to use the the cube to give yourself that ring power. So it just kind of messed with ring. the whole dynamic of playing. It, it it changed the way you design and play your character. It it basically made it you could now have if you have a set bonus. Say you have there's a there's like a a big important six piece set bonus that you want but you also want to get a two piece set bonus from a different set and you can no, but normally you'd need to use the ring to do that. Like war, I know that barbarians can do this. Uh, there's, there's a two piece set that you can get off of the, the Kings, the ancient King set. And then there's a, the six piece whirlwind set bonus off the waist set. You can do it, but you need that ring. You either need to cube it, which means take giving up some really cool necklaces and so forth that give you immunities to stuff. Uh, or you need to like be wearing the ring, which means not wearing like there's two really good barbarian DPS rings. So with this power this season, you don't have to do any of that. You just have the power. And that means you can now just know I'm going to have that two piece set bonus. I'm going to have permanent ancients up while I'm spinning around destroying everything. And it's it's really nice uh, from experience. I can tell you it's really, really nice. And it change, since it changes the way the game plays, it's different than just, oh, well, you'll get more stuff, which is like what we had with the past couple. The greed one is cool. I mean, it's still just you're going to get more stuff, but it's fun because you're chasing goblins around and going, oh, God, kill more goblins. Uh, whereas the, then they had the one where you get an extra, you know, Haradric cache. It's like, so I get more crafting materials I barely use anyway. 
This isn't I'm just curious fun. where they're going to go with the next one and if yeah. it's going to be as popular or if it's going to be kind of a womp womp. I but... don't think it'll be as popular because the Grandeur one is really popular and it's a really fun one. But I think if they if they take that, if that's the direction they go with future theme seasons, if they're like constantly trying to like make it, it's effectively adding a meta yeah. to your character design. That's, that's kind cool. of what it sounded like. That's kind of what it sounded like was all of a sudden there was a meta thing going on. But... I think the idea of a season that actually changes up the gameplay to some degree or another is more exciting to me than here have more loot. Because yep. Diablo 3 has been out for how long now? Uh, I think it came out in like 2012. It's say. been out for quite some time. and I remember because I got, because I had it, I had like, because I had Diablo 3, I got like free play tests invite into the next WoW expansion, which was Mists of Pandaria. Oh god, yeah, that was I all the way that. back in Miss. Okay. Yeah. So maybe not 2012. Quite a while ago. Sure. Quite a while yeah. ago. Several expansions ago. Because it was like before Miss of Pandaria came out. <laughs> yeah. So so in between Cataclysm and Miss of Pandaria, somewhere in there. Yeah. Um. Wow. I didn't think about it. If you think of it in terms of WoW expansions, that was quite a while ago. But uh, yeah. The thing is, is like people are still absolutely playing the heck out of Diablo 3 and really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, when they when they did that really big revamp and they took out the real money auction house and all that other stuff, they really changed yeah. how the game works and made it into something Reaper that of is... Souls. Super, Reaper of Souls. Reaper really of Souls made, made it into good. something that was super, super, super fun. And it continues to be super fun. But it's the kind of thing where it's going to get stale after a while. Because any game is going to get stale after a while if there's no changes made to it. So something like this where it actually like changes the dynamic of how you put your character together and how you play that character, it kind of switches up the gameplay enough that all of a sudden it's a fresh experience again, almost, is what it sounds like. Yeah? Absolutely. It's really... From having played it, at least on my barb, it's a ton of fun. Like it, it made it a lot easier to get those set bonuses. There's just something a tremendously, a tremendous amount of fun about running around with constant permanent grumpy grandpas, uh, smashing everything. It's, it's two guys and a woman, so I'm pretty sure it's two grumpy grandpas and grumpy grandma, running around with you just murdering everything in sight while you spin through everything. It's, it's, it's a ton of fun. Uh, and there's other set bonuses you can come, you can combine. I don't play a lot of the other classes other than Crusader. Uh, so I can't speak to them, but yeah, Barbarian and Crusader, it's, it's an objectively fun meta and I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with the future. Okay. Well, it's cool that they're extending it anyway. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and get to the emails. If you guys have an email for the show, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure that you put Blizzard Watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. And it could be about any of Blizzard's games. We don't care. We talk about them all. If you want to ask us something about StarCraft, go ahead. I don't know how well we'll be able to answer it, but we'll make a good show at it anyway. Uh, first email is from Mortiscue, who is an undead warrior, who says, I'm a huge fan of Warcraft lore and your speculations, but I'm very curious about some of the history surrounding the entities of the Diablo universe, where they come from and where things may go from here. I've only played Diablo 3 and I really enjoy all the lore nuggets they crammed into the game, but they raise more questions than answers. And I know Rossi is a sage of Diablo lore. I was curious, what are the odds of getting an episode or a series of episodes of Lore Watch focused solely on Diablo characters and or history of the setting, or perhaps a peek into Rossi's speculation for the story in Diablo Immortal? Thank you for all your hard work. Love the site and the podcast. Well, this is kind of more of a lore watch question-ish. 
but that's okay. Um, I don't, I mean, Rossi is our expert. You are our expert. As I, far I guess. As Diablo I don't know if I myself an expert, but yeah. As far as Diablo lore goes, you are our expert. I have a passing knowledge of Diablo lore, but I am by no means anywhere near as familiar with it as you are. Um, and I don't know where Joe sits on all of that either. The thing is, is like, I think that would we do Diablo in Lore Watch? Yeah, absolutely. If people wanted to send us, you know, some email questions about about Diablo, that kind of thing, I would I would totally go into that. And I feel like when we get closer to hearing some kind of release date for Diablo Immortal, we might dedicate some time to what's going on with that. But right now, we aren't exactly getting a ton of Diablo news. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's basically Diablo's lore is pretty much the stuff we got in game we were just talking about how long ago it was since diablo 3 came out like now think about diablo 2 is like i think they had their 20th anniversary recently um so yeah this is they're not new games it's kind of hard to like you know justify like with world of War, with world of warcraft lore world of warcraft's constantly putting out new stuff so there's always new lore to talk about and then you can go back and talk about the old lore as part of that um overwatch same deal We've talked about Overwatch on Lore Watch because, you know, Overwatch is almost always giving us a new something. It may not be tremendously deep, but they're giving us something. Diablo Immortals being Diablo Immortal announcement was the last time we've gotten any Diablo lore in the past five years. Any anything like new. And I mean we talked yeah. a little bit about what's going on with Diablo Immortal and where it takes place and why that's interesting. Um we haven't gone too much into what to expect from it because we really don't know we don't have any idea you guys <laughs> all we know is certain certain characters are showing up and yeah i'm sorry that at the moment i don't remember their names but they're important they've been in other tie-in media they're the bridge between diablos two and three we know those characters are going to be there like for instance uh Eldarine is like what what happened with tyriel sword while he was you know vaporized well this guy used it and he's important because he's effectively doing Tyrael's job while Tyrael was gone. So that's that's a character we knew existed. He's been in one of the two of the books. Uh, after Tyrael comes back, he, he works for Tyrael for a while. He ends up in the Haradrim. There's there's stuff there, but it's it's very like it's vague. It's just this character will show up. And that's great. Uh, I want to see more of it, but we haven't actually seen it. We've just been told that it will happen. Uh, same thing with we're going to find out like the origins of the demon hunters. We're going to see like the, the demon hunter player character. We're going to see her and that's great, but that's all we know. So there's stuff to talk about. Obviously I, I wrote a KYL about it like, when it first was announced, uh, but it's kind of hard to do a whole show about it right now. As I mean, we would... get more information and there's more to talk about, we will absolutely be talking about it on lore watch because why not? <laughs> so it's just a matter of is it relevant right now not so much and we know about as much as you guys do in in regards to what's coming and what to look forward to um, i mean i got a buttload of speculation but yeah that's that's what it would be yeah. which is fine we do speculate i mean <laughs> we are not afraid of speculation but for right now we have other things to speculate on and they're more timely if that makes any sense yeah. All Which right. is not to say don't send in questions. If you want to send in questions about Diablo to, to Lore Watch, I would be thrilled. I would and bore you... the heck out of these two. <laughs> you don't bore us. It's actually kind of interesting listening to you just go off. <laughs> 
But yeah, if you have any questions, like actual Diablo questions for Lorewatch, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com as well. Just put Lorewatch in the subject line so we know it's intended for that show. And we will get to them eventually because we do, we run the gamut. We answer all kinds of questions, lore related questions. So if there's anything specific that you want to know about Diablo lore, we will throw that at Rossi and we will make him talk for 45 minutes about something. Well, we won't make him. He just will talk for 45 minutes. Make, be unable to stop. <laughs> Air <Similar>. quotes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next email. This one has actually got a couple of questions in it. Uh, this is from Baragorn, who's a human warlock of Cadgar, who says, Hey, folks, hope you're all doing okay. I just finished listening to episode 204 a couple episodes back and wanted to bring up something. In Warcraft 3, Arthas needed a special urn to transport the remains of Kel'Thuzad. To get the urn, he had to fight Uther to the death with 100 ghouls or so. So technically, shouldn't Uther be in Frostmourne? And doesn't the fact that both Jaina and Sylvanas can interact with Uther mean that Uther's spirit is strong enough to act somewhat independently of the Lich King? I just think that would explain why he's in the tomb as well. He senses when someone is near somehow and goes there, and for all we know, the Lich King knows he does this, but just doesn't care. I don't think that's the case. I don't know. What do you think, Rossi? I, I definitely think that that could explain that he why he would be in Frostmourne. I'm totally okay with that. But the Light does not abandon his champions. Yeah. And the Lich King's not like, oh, well, whatever. I don't care what he does with his off time. No, the, the Frostmourne imprisons you and, and consumes you slowly. That's that's the horror of it. It's, it devours your soul. Um, I don't think Uther's soul got devoured. I think his his grip on the light was too strong. Uh, he died in the Plaguelands, and he stayed in the Plaguelands. Much just like those other light heroes that were buried at Light's Hope Chapel, their their spirits stayed in the Plaguelands, and the plague couldn't touch them. I feel that Uther is like that. Uh, Uther had his flaws. He wasn't a perfect person. Uh, for one thing, you know, he he believed he could strip Tyrion, Tyrion Fordring of his powers when he couldn't. Because the light chooses who has those powers, not to, not any human or any any paladin, not even one as powerful as Uther. But he wasn't malicious, and he had a very strong grip on the light. Like that's he was one of the they called him the Lightbringer for a reason. Um, he was one I of guess, the OG paladins. Yeah, I find the idea that he's in Frostmourne. I don't. I I find it unsatisfying. I'm not saying it isn't the case, or for that matter, perhaps part of him is in Frostmourne and part of him isn't. And it wasn't so much the Lich King knew about it and didn't care so much as he knew about it, but couldn't stop it for the same reason he couldn't just walk into Light's Hope Chapel. I mean, the Lich King flat out couldn't go in there. Even when he has his army of um, Death Knights attack it, that's just to get them to come out. So they're not in Light's Hope. Uh, When you go in as a Death Knight later, uh, trying to... You're basically bait, is what you are at the Death Knight starting experience. You are bait yeah. to draw them out. Remember at one ten when you go in to get the body of Tyrion Fordring, uh, the light teaches you a lesson. Mm. It smacks Darian down. It's like no. <laughs> so I don't think that Tyrion's in the sword. I think at best, like a copy or echo of him might be in there, but I still have my doubts. I, I definitely. I, I on the other hand, am still firmly leaning into the conspiracy theory that that Uther that we were talking to was not Uther at all, and the whole reason that he said there must always be a Lich King is because it wanted one to be there, not yeah, because I'm... there had to be one, but because it wanted that to continue for whatever reason. 
I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I am not, I'm not skeptical of that idea. I'm, I'm just saying it hasn't actually been established, but it definitely is one that, that preys on my mind from time to time because it doesn't make a lot of sense. We didn't, the, the, the Lich King is not something that's existed for millennia. This is something that just showed up. The idea that we must always be a Lich King. No, just destroy all the Scourge. Uh, yeah, it would take a while, but I'm okay with trying. Uh, but they'll, they'll rampage. They're rampaging now. Have you been to Ice Ground? They're not exactly hanging out and doing nothing. It's not it's... like they're organized or anything. Yeah, and if they don't have a Lich King telling them what to do, how organized are they really going to be? You know, um, yeah. a Speed Lancer points out in the chat channel, says that Uther's ghost being at the tomb is just a game thing because he was there for the holiday before Wrath was released. This is true. He was present at the tomb before Wrath came out. And then after Wrath came out, the whole thing with the sword and there must always be a Lich King happened. Keep in mind that just because these elements were introduced as game components, it doesn't mean that they can't be built into lore moments later on. Plus, I mean, keep in mind that after they did Wrath, they, they, had, they had Uther still at that tomb. They didn't change it to, I'm free and now I will go off somewhere else. He's still there at the tomb, the tomb he was at before. He didn't leave it. So I don't feel like that necessarily means that, oh, it's just a game mechanics thing. They had the chance to change it when they were redesigning the world and they didn't. Yeah, I don't know. For me, for me, World of Warcraft is kind of a continually building story. And sometimes something that's just thrown in for a game mechanic reason is something that can be built into a pretty interesting lore moment if given the right treatment. And I'm I'm still leaning on the fact that, or I'm still leaning towards maybe this is one of those things that they built in there and it's going to be, because it sounds interesting. It just, it's an interesting proposition and it makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Um, and yeah, conspiracy theory, what have you still. Uh, Baragorn has one, one more question here. And this one is about Diablo Immortal. It says, lastly for Diablo Immortal, has there been any mention that we'll find out what Deckard Kane and Adria were up to after Diablo 2 and before Diablo 3? Yes. Yeah? We'll see Deckard Kane and... Uh, Adria? Uh, Leah. Oh, no, Leah. We'll see Deckard Kane and Leah and Leah when they when they go to uh, Chaldean. When the stuff that she talks about when she was a kid, you're going to see some of that. That's actually in the game. Because the game is five years after the end of Diablo 2. So we'll see all so. the stuff with Leah play out, but we may not see Adria. Well, Adria was kind of young in Diablo 3 anyway. Yeah, well, they didn't talk about Adria too much. Um, they they didn't specify that we would see her, but we know we're going to see uh, Deckard Kane and uh, Leah. They're going to be in. in I'm some kind stuff of that... interested in seeing the Leah stuff. Cause... Yeah, me too. Yeah, that sounds interesting to me. All right. Uh, thank you for the emails, Baragorn. Oh, excuse me. There is another one here, too. So. <laughs> That is also from Baragorn. It says, just wondering if you think Blizzard will ever add allied races to the store, similar to mounts or pets, or heck, even just character skins, or even just adding the ability to get older allied races down the road. Um, Star Wars, what is that? Star Wars, the Old Republic? Yeah, does this, and it seemed to be fairly well received. I really have no idea if the player base was upset about it. I don't think I would, I don't think we'd see an allied race added to the store. No, I don't. The the way first off, for all that it's pretty well established that pets and mounts will be available for the store. Every single time they put one up there, there's complaining. Every single time. And we've been doing this for years now. They at least since Wrath, 
not wrath, but mists. I know they were putting some in mists, and they probably were in Kata too. No, when I think did, the original did... Sparkle Pony was in Wrath. So going back to Wrath, and people are still complaining about it. So imagine how people would get mad if they suddenly brought in like a race that everyone's want. Imagine if they put Naga on the store, how mad people would get. People have wanted Naga for years. Suddenly they're on the store. No, I have to pay to get it. People would get so mad. I don't think Blizzard wants the PR headache of that kind of thing. Blizzard's been pretty conservative with its its pets. It's like store purchase stuff. It's always been like pets and mounts, purely cosmetic things. I feel like race, racial choice for your character crosses a line that they're not going to cross. Here's how I feel about it. Allied races are a really good excuse and a really good opportunity to add content to the game that doesn't necessarily have to be involved with the main storyline or anything. It can just be its own thing, but it gives an opportunity for for the developers to add a little bit more playable content to people that maybe aren't doing raiding or aren't doing PvP that they want to do like the other stuff. I don't see them putting something like that up just in the gear shop or whatever when it's something that could be used to add more playable stuff to the game. I, I just I don't see them doing that. Your question is, your answer is excellent there, Anne, and I don't have much to add, but I'm watching the stream as I'm talking to you, and I'm watching this ogre that I got through a toy, and thinking about how that, like, this is kind of what you're talking about. This ogre toy lets me turn into an ogre briefly, and... But just briefly. Just briefly. Having it be something where I could just go and buy an ogre skin, and then be an ogre in the game, I don't know. I don't even think, like, the Night Warrior and the the Golden Eyes that the, the Blood Elves got... Even that stuff had lore to it, you know. They they maybe something small like the 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 blood elf golden eyes. They didn't put a quest in for it, but it's basically it's just a reflection. Off... It's a reflection yeah. of everything that's been going on with um well with the Cinderai since since we beat Kalthos and yeah, the Sunwell so, got so, restored since the end of BC. I don't. I I I'm not saying I won't say never the idea that they might put some cosmetic skins in. Like, you know, a new orc skin that made him look more fell or something. I'm not going to say never to that, but I really do feel like Anne's got a point about the idea that there's lore. And it's a good way It's a good way to develop and, de- and deliver more story for people who don't necessarily do other stuff. Yeah, so I, and I, it's not a ton of story. Like the Allied Race stuff, when you go to unlock the Allied Race, it involves gameplay. So you're being encouraged to play the game to unlock the Allied Race. And then once you've unlocked that Allied Race, you get brand new content to play through to go ahead and add it to your repertoire, right? And then you have that Allied Race that you can play from level 20 up to max. Like the whole system encourages more gameplay, that's pretty much what it's there for is to encourage more gameplay and give people other things to do in a game that is how old now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want those uh. alternate things to do. And, and yeah, it's nice that we had that model there where it was like every expansion we either had like a new class or a new race to play. That was great and everything. But that also meant that you were only getting that gameplay opportunity once per expansion and once you leveled through that piece of content, it was done. Um, I don't know if they're going to continue the allied race thing after Battle for Azeroth. I kind of hope that they do. I get the feeling that they are just because of how profound it is. You know, they, they, seem they to be rolled liking it out at it. the end of Legion. You know, and, and the thing about the allied races is you can unlock them. You don't have to level them unless you're really gung-ho about wanting to level one. You can go ahead and race change to one if you want to. That's fine. 
Yeah. If you want the heritage armor, you need to level it. But that's really the only reason to level it is if you super want that heritage armor set. It's just additional content. And and it gives you kind of, you know, some additional options to look at when you're looking at character choices. So I don't really see them as like slapping that kind of thing or even appearances and things like that. I don't see them slapping that kind of thing in the gear store when it's something that could be used to enhance gameplay and just, you know, encourage people to stick around and keep playing. I don't think that the one-time cost of unlocking an allied race with a gear shop would like offset the months of subscription fees they get from people that are sticking around to play those allied races. You know what I mean? No, it makes sense. Okay. Anyway, we have one more question here, and this one is from Shad, who is a protection paladin, blood elf of the Wolves of War, U.S. Hyjal, who says, Greetings and hi. Would you support the following? The addition of location-specific hearthstones. So a player could get a hearthstone to take them to their Pandaria farm or to the capital city in Pandaria. That player could also get a hearthstone for only Dalaran Northrend or for only the Argent place. We have a garrison hearthstone and a Dalaran Broken Isles, so those locations are not exempted from this. Guidelines. One specific hearthstone per continent, no exceptions. Bound one character, not to an account or realm. Hearthstone acquisition requires some type of work, although it would not have to be quote-unquote new content, although that would be best. For example, kill a specific world boss in an area, or clear all the dungeons from an expansion on Heroic. Neither would be difficult per se, but it would give players something useful to chase, and it would fill the time. I know mages are screaming at this idea, but fine, give them some ultra-unique portals so they continue to feel special as they hide behind the true masterclass, the Paladin. Just spitballing thanks, Shad. Okay, first up, Paladin is not the master class, but I'm biased. <laughs> Secondly, I can't. I just really... want to say that I'm literally hissing and holding up my fingers like a cross at the idea that paladins are the master class. Yeah, I I can't really see like the usefulness of something like this when there are already so many things in game that will take you to specific locations if you have them. Yeah, I'm gonna say basically we have this. We just don't call them hearthstones, except when we do. Um, like the garrison hearthstone is a hearthstone that takes you to, you know, your garrison. The the Dalaran hearthstone is a hearthstone that takes you to the Dalaran from Legion. Um, so you're basically just saying you want more of those kind of things. I feel like the the idea for those is that they're intended to work for one expansion. I mean, I still have a ring that will teleport me to the front of the Black Temple if I use it. Yeah, and I, I, I still I have. Uh, is it a ring a, or a necklace? It's a ring is it no wait it is a necklace you're right um okay i also have a mole machine that will take me into black rock mountain whenever i want i have i don't i can't even go over all of them i can't even remember all of them because i have so many of them i have the engineering thing that takes you to like various places winter spring everlook yeah yeah the, the the there's like uh there, there's engineering trinkets. There's all kinds of gadgets out there that will teleport you to different places or take you to different locations. And beyond that, there's already portals just about everywhere. Now, keep in mind that they have removed a lot of those portals. Like, if you go to Pandaria right now and you go to the shrine, you're not going to see the portals to everywhere like there used to be. But that's because they are adding central portal rooms to both Stormwind and Orgrimmar that will be implemented with 8.1.5. And they're actually pretty great because those portal rooms are, you go in and it's just a collection of portals. It's like a portal to everywhere you've ever been. 
that's had a portal associated with it. So Shathrath is there. Um, Dalaran from Northrend is there. Dalaran from uh, Legion is there. All of the capital cities, everywhere that there was a portal to, it, it exists. It exists in that portal room, and it's all collected in one spot. So you don't have to run around the city wondering which portal goes where, um, which is kind of appreciated. Plus, the uh, revamped rooms are really cool looking. Um, I don't. Have you been on the PTR? A little bit. I saw the Stormwind one. I didn't see the Orgrimmar one, but the Orgrimmar the one is, is cool. weird because okay, you know when you go into Orgrimmar, you go through the front gates and you go down that narrow hallway and then you make a left and you go into the city. Yeah, where they used to, when you did the uh, Siege of Orgrimmar raid, it's where the uh, blind where, guys would attack you. Where that monk was at. Okay, so where that monk was at, just behind him, is the entrance to the portal room. It's in there. So it's kind of in the wall? Yeah, they built into the wall under that mountain. (laughs) There's essentially a room. Instead of being a wall behind him, it's a door. And the door goes into the portal building. And it's just this big room that has a whole mess of portals in it. But it's right there at the entrance of Orgrimmar, which is kind of convenient, honestly. Because if you hearth into Orgrimmar or if you, you know, if you portal into Orgrimmar, you portal into that room. And then you're right there by the front of the place where the war chief building is at. And there's a bank there. There's an auction house there. And that way people can just bind their hearthstone to their capital city and use it to get wherever. I don't know about you, but pretty much from Miss of Pandaria onward, I did not have my hearthstone. I didn't reset it to anywhere. It was always set to the shrine in Pandaria. Uh, I I switched it to to Legion Dalaran because Legion Dalaran's even better. Yeah, even see, I didn't switch it to that because I still have my Dalaran Hearthstone. So yeah, why? I just wanted two, I wanted two shots to get back there. Oh, okay. But that's the only reason. I mean, that's why I'm thinking, like, it's not a terrible idea to a certain degree, but at the same time, it depends on how many, like, for instance, all the other stuff we pointed out. After a while, you just kind of like, I have enough ports. I, I have enough ability to move around. I just like, can't right now, see the usefulness of it. You know what I mean? Like right now, I have a Hearthstone and Boralus. Um, Boralus has portals to Stormwind, and da- it's got Stormwind, Silithus, um, I- Iron Forge. I can't remember the other two, but it's got it's got one more. Uh, I think uh, the Exodar. Between that, like once you've got that, once you can get to Stormwind from a place via portal, you've effect- you've got access to the portals in Stormwind, which are extensive and will be more extensive once the portal room comes up. You're not going to really need it anymore. You come to a certain point where you just the Hearthstone's a convenience. It isn't something you really need anymore. And I feel like having, oh, this Hearthstone takes me to Auchendoon. I don't feel like it has to be a Hearthstone. If you want to have a like, you know, if I wanted to go to Auchendoon, I just go to the Black Portal. I mean, the Black Temple, or I just go to Shat, which Shat's even closer. Yeah, um, just take the portal to Shatrath and fly over. No big deal. So, so it's, I mean, it's it's cool. It's a cool idea, but I don't necessarily think it's. I don't think it's necessary. That's just ultimately what I'm going to say. I, I feel like we've got enough. I mean, what I'm going to reiterate I feel bad because is... I feel like I'm I'm dumping on your idea, and I'm, I don't mean to. <laughs> I just... I'm not dumping on the idea. I'm just using the idea as an opportunity to point out that 8.1.5 is going to have like all of these portals collected in one spot. Um, it's not going to be. Oh, you want to bind your Hearthstone to the Shrine in Pandaria because that one's got Hearthstones everywhere even to places that Stormwind does not, or even to places that Orgrimmar does not. Um, it's all being moved and consolidated to the capital cities. 
So you really, in theory, that's all you need. Once you can get to those capital cities, it's easy enough to fly wherever. And just because that portal room exists, it doesn't mean, it's not invalidating. You'll still have your garrison hearthstone. And you'll yeah, still I... have your Hearthstone to Dalaran. And if you go get the Ring of the Kirin Tor, you can still teleport to Dalaran, like Old World Dalaran. If you still have your necklace for Black Temple, you can still, you know, there's there's just there's yeah. so many little things that you can use to warp around that I don't it's see. Like the, isn't there a cape? There's like a cape that moves to Stormwind, and then there's like the engineering stuff. There's a lot of things like that. Is there a like cape that, that goes there. to Stormwind? Is there one that goes to Orgrimmar? I think so. I'm, okay. Maybe. I don't. I'm, so I'm like trying to remember. Thing, there's so. So many things that I'd, I'm having a hard time remembering if there's actually a cape that does it or a tabard that does it, or if I'm just confusing it with something else. Yeah. My, my wife has so many engineering things that teleport her that I've yeah. lost track of what they all are. Yeah, if you're an engineer, you can get pretty much anywhere. <laughs> if you're an engineer, you even have teleportation devices that will take you to unknown locations, and it's just a surprise. <laughs> I love engineering. Anyway, so yeah, I don't really think that it's super necessary I mean as far as mages are concerned mages are still making portals to here there and everywhere and mages, mages will still continue to make portals to here there and everywhere even with the addition of the portal room I mean the portal room is just it's a collection of every portal we've had already there just happen to be a one spot for convenience's sake and also because it looks really pretty but that doesn't mean that mages are suddenly nobody's going to want to teleport anywhere anymore. No, people are still going to want mage portals because why not? Because <laughs> they're convenient. Really. That's it. That's the extent of it. Anyway, thank you for the question, Chad. Again, uh, you guys, if you have questions for the show, please send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com and include the word blizzardwatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Um, we take questions about just about anything. And we actually reached the bottom of the email list today, which is phenomenal. I'm so happy. But yeah, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for the show here. Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Rossi, you got any final words of wisdom and or thoughts and or questions you'd like to answer in future episodes material Actually, right, you want right to hear now, about? Right now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I've spent this entire time we've been doing this podcast making my night off warrior use various toys and then having her dance. And it's <laughs> been fun. She's been a blood elf. She's been a, a undead. And she's been an ogre. And I'm never going to get over how disturbing that ogre really is. It's it's quite something to watch her dance as an ogre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm going to talk about. That's that's how that's my final words, guys. <laughs> Enjoy right. that. Thank you, guys, as always, for listening. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and we will see you again next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.